This morning's sermon scripture is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, and then a second reading from chapter 30. You can find this passage on page 145 and then page 172 in the Pew Bible that's provided there, or of course on your favorite Bible reading app. Would you please stand together with me for a reading of God's Word? Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Sup, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazarot, and Dishahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them, after he had defeated Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Adrai. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough in this mountain. Turn and take your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, and in the Negeb, and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. And then in chapter 30. And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and the enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of the law. When you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea 
that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you this today life and good, death and evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. you may be seated. When I was a junior in high school, I began looking at which college I might attend, as many juniors in high school do. And so I started a national search and started looking high and low, east and west, north and south. Where would be the right place? Where would I learn the most? What culture would fit me appropriately? And then my dad came into my room and said, son, I'm going to make this a little easier for you. Here's a list of state colleges in Virginia. Pick one. And so I looked at the list and I thought, well, maybe I could be an engineer out in Blacksburg or I could walk around Charlottesville and enjoy the, the beautiful architecture. Maybe I should head up to Northern Virginia and George Mason and be right close to D.C. and go into political science. Maybe I should go out to Harrisonburg and enjoy national championship football. Where should I go? But my eyes kept heading west toward Chicago. My eyes kept heading west toward California, north up to Boston and south down to Florida. And I went to my dad and I, I presented a second list. And my dad looked at me and said, let me tell you again, here's the list. The book of Deuteronomy is titled appropriately according to what it is. It's two Greek words put together. The, work, the work, first word is deutero, which is where we get our word duet from. It means second, and nomos in Greek means law. You see, Deuteronomy means second law. And the book of Deuteronomy is where God tells us again. Is where God said, I've got a choice that I'm putting before you and, and you are trying to create a second list. You're trying to create other options and, and you go to God with those other options and God, just like my dad back in the 11th grade said, let me tell you again, here's the list. Deuteronomy is where God tells us again. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, it is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Sair to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. And what you should notice as you read those first verses of Deuteronomy is, is the contrast between 11 days and 40 years. It was only supposed to be an 11-day journey, an 11-day journey that turned into a 40-year journey. Why? Well, God gave them a list. God gave them an assignment. He gave them some things to do, and let's look at Israel's response to what God asked them to do, which was to cross into the new land. Deuteronomy 1, verses 28 and 20, excuse me, Deuteronomy 1, verses 26 to, 20, to 28. As God said, go into the land, we read this. Yet you would not go up, 
but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. And so they say, God, we want another list. We want more options, God. And the result was disobedience brought death, as we talked about last week. And the 11-day journey turned into a 40-year journey where that entire generation that rejected God's plan had to die. And now, in the book of Deuteronomy, we are back in the exact same spot. And God says, let me tell you again. Let's have this conversation one more time. And God tells them again through three sermons delivered by Moses. And this is an outline of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is just three different sermons delivered by Moses. The first sermon, chapters 1 through 4, reviews Israel's history. The second sermon, chapter 5 to 28, you think I preach long sermons. That's a long sermon. 5 to 28 reiterates God's law. And the third sermon, chapter 29 to 30, renews God's covenant. And then the end of the book, you get Moses' final words in death. Reviews Israel's history. Reiterates God's law. Renews God's covenant. And all of God's great telling of the Israelites again comes to a great crescendo. The story has its climax in chapter 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. In essence, when you ask, what does God tell them again? God tells them again, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Verse third, chapter 30, verses 11 through 15. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off, neither is it far off, nor is it in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven or who uh, for us, excuse me, who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. And what I want you to notice as I read those verses is all of the yous that are in there. This commandment I command you today they are second person singular. Moses is speaking directly, individually to every person in Israel. He's saying, see, I've set before you today life and death. And the set before you today of life and death actually connects all the way back to chapter 1, verse 8, where Moses said, see, God set the land before us. I set before you life and death. And back in chapter 1, God set the land before them. And essentially what Moses is trying to communicate on God's behalf is you had a choice to make 40 years ago and you thought your choice was about going into the land or not going into the land. 
But let me tell you again, you have a choice to make. And your choice then, as it, it was, your choice then as it is now, was not a choice of land or no land, but a choice of disobedience or obedience. A choice of building community around God's presence or building community around your fear. It was a choice of moving forward with God's strength at the center or staying put with your security at the center. It was a choice of trusting God or trusting yourself. Let me boil it down. It was a choice between life and death. You had a choice to make. And let me tell you again, you have a choice to make. And here, there's some words and some language that that echoes the great commandment of the book of Deuteronomy, the Shema that we have been uh, uh, speaking and saying congregationally throughout this series on the first five books of Torah. Moses talks about the commandment singular. It's interesting that he says the commandment He doesn't say the commandments that God has given you, the commandment, most likely referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, in that great Shema where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And that phrase, the Lord your God is one, can also be translated, the Lord your God is Lord alone. In other words, You're trying to make a different decision. You're trying to present another list and say, God, the list that you've given us looks kind of difficult and hard and looks like we might not be able to do it. So so why don't you just think about our suggestions here? But but Deuteronomy 6.5 makes it clear. He is Lord and he's Lord alone. Your feelings are not Lord. Your emotions are not Lord. Your desires are not Lord. What you think is best is not Lord. The Lord our God is Lord. He is one. He is Lord alone. You had a choice to make. And you have a choice to make. I believe the book of Deuteronomy speaks directly to where we are as a chapel family as we come to this 43rd anniversary of our existence as a family of faith and the first uh, and, and the beginning of the second year of this next 40 campaign journey that we started last year. I believe last year, Jesus looked at all of us through his word in Acts chapter one, verse eight, and said, you have a choice to make. Acts 1, eight says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when we talked about what this might look like, that we might have three different initiatives as a campaign that could serve as a vision, excuse me, we could have three different initiatives as part of a campaign for our church that would serve as a visual picture a, 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 uh, a prototype, so to speak, of what Jesus calls each and every disciple to be about, to be as witnesses in Jerusalem, right where you are. Judea, Samaria, close by and culturally similar, close by and culturally different, and, and to the end of the earth, further than you ever thought Jesus would take you, and not to the exclusion of any of the other wonderful things that we do as a family of faith to be Jesus' witnesses in this area, but, but as a model to invigorate all of us to deeper commitment to be his witnesses in these places. And when we talked about all of this, 
I, I shared this in one of the sermons a year ago. Take note of how Jesus introduces this call. You will be. He is not offering an optional extra credit assignment for particularly eager disciples. He is commanding everyone who follows him to begin a great expedition. In truth, the greatest expedition ever undertaken. For on this expedition, his disciples are to give witness to the world's true Lord, Jesus Christ, in every place and to every people. And so we started on that journey. And here we are a year later. And and we put this in the bulletin each and every week. But we have 328 households that have participated financially in this next 40 campaign. And this is above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings that support all of the other ways as a church we're being his witnesses in these places. We have 328 families that are participating. And those 328 families, they, they represent maybe 650 or 700 people in our community. My family is a part of this number and we have six people in our family. Now I know not everyone is crazy enough to have six people in their family. But you can see as you do a a little math of averages, this represents a a good portion of our community that's saying, yes, we want to be a part of this. Yet we still have room to grow in order to reach our everyone together goal because we don't want to do this in a a top-down way. This is for every disciple, everyone who calls the chapel or church home. We're hoping that number can be 500, 550, 600 families and everyone worries about that, that top number, you know. How much money are you ultimately going to raise to get all these things done? As you heard Rich say earlier, Jesus is showing up in unexpected places and doing unexpected things. And I believe that top number will take care of itself when we as a family of faith move in an everyone together way and say, if I'm not participating yet, today's my day when I'm going I'm I'm to say, yes, Lord, I, I would like to be a part of this. And when you hear the testimonies, I don't know why we wouldn't want to be a part of this. I will tell you that the, the feedback I've gotten most throughout this past year is this. No one asked me what I thought would be the right things for these initiatives. I hear that all the time. And I would just say we can always do a better job as a leadership team in this church and as elders of communicating and being in dialogue But we always have to recognize as well that we are an elder-led church and we have a church of our size. You can't do everything with just polling the audience. And remember, if Moses took a congregational vote, where did they want to go? Back to Egypt. That so often it's, it's the leadership's responsibility and we believe that membership has a key and crucial role as a family of faith and we are partners together but ultimately leadership has to seek direction and we believe we have found Jesus' direction for his church here at the chapel to be as witnesses in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and even to the very end of the earth. And I've been surprised. I've been surprised at all of the unexpected ways Jesus is is using this 
to, to do more than we ever thought. I was just at a, a sister church of ours in Community Church of Chesapeake, uh, now named Centerpoint Community Church, to, sell, to help them celebrate their 40th anniversary just three weeks ago. And my jaw hit the floor when I saw this go up on the screen. They're talking about their Jerusalem, their Judea Samaria, their end of the earth. They heard about our journey. They said, we're a 40-year-old church. We want to see what Jesus has next for us. Maybe this is a model for us too. And so as we get going, I think there are all kinds of things that Jesus wants to accomplish in these initiatives and in other initiatives that are going to bubble up with, with, our, uh, with all of our missions partners, with every disciple who calls a chapel to their church home, and other churches that are taking notice and saying, we want to get in on it too. And so if you are still holding back, I believe we are at a Deuteronomy moment as a family of faith where God is saying, let me tell you again, this is my vision for the church. It always has been. I was clear about it when Jesus said in Acts 1.8, where, where and how you are to be my witnesses. And Moses puts this decision before the Israelites with tremendous clarity, precision. Yet there was one aspect of the passage that was a bit confusing for me this week. As Moses is so precise to say, here's the decision, life, death, choose life. There was one aspect where I went, that was a little fuzzy. And it was the part where he talks about that you can do this, you can obey. The law is not too hard to obey. I'm going, the history of God's people is that we haven't obeyed. He says, it's not all the way up in heaven that you have to send there to find it. It's not at the bottom of the sea that you have to descend there to get it. And I'm going, what does Moses mean by this? We see in the ancient world, the ancient approach to wisdom was elite people ascending to great intellectual heights to gain hidden wisdom. Strong people journeying across vast and chaotic seas to conquer new land. And Moses reports that God will have none of that. He's saying this is for everyone. Choose life, and everyone can choose life. And I go, but how, how can everyone choose life? Well, you have to remember the New Testament says that everything in the Old Testament points us forward to Jesus. How do we choose life? Look at John 1:4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all men. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. To choose life is to choose Jesus he is the one who came from beyond the sea to be the word made flesh, very near to us. We don't have to ascend to heaven to find it because Jesus descended from heaven to bring it to us. And he sent his spirit so that not only can his obedience be applied to our account, but his spirit can empower us to, obedient, to be obedient in our everyday life. We can choose life in Jesus because he chose death on our behalf. And so in Deuteronomy, God tells us again. He says, you had a choice to make. And you have a choice to make. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Choose to be on mission with him in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the very end of the earth.